It's a privilege for me to be here tonight. It was in this place 40 years ago that I accepted Jesus as my savior. So uh, I made that decision to follow Jesus and started my journey with God right here at this church when it first began. And so for me, it's a privilege to come back here and to be able to speak in front of you. And I want to encourage you, if any of you are at that point where you have just accepted Jesus as your Savior, or if you are just new to this church, and you're wondering what it's all about, and you're wondering, is this a good choice to follow Jesus? Well, I can tell you uh, that I have found that it's the best decision that I have ever made in my life. Uh, I found that God has always been there with me. He has said that I will never leave you or forsake you. Uh, he has provided for me and has blessed me. And God has given me a life walking with him that I wouldn't trade for any other. Over the years, I've found that I can depend on God in all circumstances. When things seem to go wrong, I look forward to seeing how God is going to turn them around to make them turn for the good for me, as he has promised that he would do. And so it's a privilege to be here with you tonight. Over the past few weeks, Pastor Jonathan has been talking about the Sabbath, God's rest for his people. He talked about how after six days of creating the heavens and the earth, God rested. He talked about how when Moses led the people out of Egypt into the desert, God taught them that they were no longer slaves like they thought that they were when they were in Egypt, but that they were actually God's people. He talked about the importance of taking a day just to honor God by stopping our regular activity and remembering how God provides for us. And he talked about how Jesus, through his suffering and his death on the cross, provided that rest for us in, in that he, he has uh, taken away our sins and we no longer have to carry that burden and that weight of the sins. And last week, Pastor Jonathan talked about how we enter this rest with God through faith and through obedience. And today we're going to be talking about our eternal rest. We're going to be talking about a place that God has created, which a lot of people call heaven. Uh, for his children, for his followers. It's my hope that after hearing this sermon, that you will be confident that God has a wonderful plan for you, for your eternal resting place, and that having that assurance of being with God throughout eternity will actually give you a greater hope in this life and a greater assurance to walk with him, and that it will actually provide you 
with the full life just resting in all of the promises of God. So let's begin with the word of prayer. Father, as we look into your word and consider the promises that you have made to us, may your spirit be with us here tonight. May you open our minds and our hearts that we might hear from you. I pray, Lord, that if there are any here tonight who are in need of a special touch from you, that you would bless them through this teaching. I pray that tonight all would leave this place with a full assurance that you are a God that loves them and that you are a God that provides for them and that you are a God who will, at the time of their death, carry them to their final resting place, a place where you will wipe away every tear from their eyes and bless them with your presence for eternity. Thank you, Lord. Death is the big unknown in life. Most people fear death. It's like having an unpaid bill hanging over your shoulder. And if you have something hanging over your head or over your shoulder, how many of you have ever stayed awake at night thinking about something? That's what death is like for a lot of people. A lot of people fear it. And when you have this fear of anything in life that's hanging over your head. You don't get the rest that you need. You have no peace until that situation is resolved. But you can't resolve the one situation that's coming for all of us. Scripture says that it's appointed unto all of us to die. And so we know that at some point we will die unless the Lord returns before that time. For many of us, as we get older and we see the day of, uh, approaching, that fear of death grows stronger. And for most of us who have seen people who have faced, faced death, we've seen their reaction to it. Some people face death with a lot of dignity, a lot of peace, while other people leave death struggling and fearful of what's going to happen. What would be your response if you found out tomorrow that you were going to die? How would you face that? Would you too be gripped with fear? What would be your response? I believe that most of us fear death because we know so little about it. It's something that you never really experience. You go to the dentist all the time, and uh, for years I was frightened to death of the dentist because of experiences as a child, and so for a long time I didn't go. And then uh, my wife would have her teeth cleaned every six months, and I thought, I'm not going to do that. I'm just too afraid. And then I started going, and after a while now, I, I don't fear it at all. And so, but death isn't like that, where you experience it over and over, and you can get used to it. In fact, uh, there's this woman that 
from a church that was in the nursing home, and she was about to die. Uh, I say that because she did die, but she didn't look like she was going to die. She looked very healthy, and, and, and she was, you know, looked fine to me. But when I went to visit her one day, uh, normally we'd just have chats about stuff, and, but one day she, she looked right at me and she said, uh, what's it like to die? What should I expect when I die? And I thought, well, you, you know what? I, I was thinking, like, I've never died. I don't, I don't know. But um, when you're a pastor, people ask you questions. You, you, you need to come up with an answer. And so you make stuff up, right? No. <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't make. <laughs> I do that at home, but not in this situation. But so what, what I did was I thought to all of the people that I had sat with, who had died, and I thought, what were the experiences that they had? And so I told her, I said, you know, it's been my experience watching people die that most of them, right before they die, they seem to like look and, oh, look at that, you know, or something like that, or, or they'll, they'll say, oh, my, and they'll put out their hand like that. And I told her, I said, I believe that what happens for believers is that God or his angels come to you and put their hand out and welcome you to come with them. And I said, I think it's probably a very beautiful thing and very peaceful. And I think that when that time comes for you, you'll you, you just be, okay, oh yeah, this is it. And you'll be fine. And so she was sitting there and she, in her bed and she was looking at me and she said, turned her head, she said, okay, thank you, and then she turned her head, like to say, you, you can go home now, and I thought, I wasn't saying for you, you know, that now you can die, but in her mind, I had given her that peace about dying, and the next day, in fact, this woman who looked as healthy as anybody that I've seen uh, died that next day. And I believe that God welcomed her into his kingdom. As a believer, we can know a lot about death and our eternal resting place, even though we don't actually have that experience. And that knowledge, coupled with a faith in God's promises, can give us a great peace as we come to that point to face death, a peace that will help us at that hour. But also, that faith that we have gives us a peace going through life. We don't have that unpaid bill that someday we're going to have to pay like those who don't believe. We don't have a punishment for our sins waiting for us at the end of our lives. We have a reward waiting for us. And so knowing that, many people face life with assurance. And I believe that if any of you or any of us knew how much God truly loves us and the plans that he has for us, our response to death would be, yippee, 
in great expectation of what was going to happen. Most people don't think of that, yippee, when they find out they're going to die. I've seen many people that have been faced with cancer or, and, and they're gripped with fear and anxiety and they have to wrestle with that. And that's fine. You have to wrestle with that. But if we knew, if we truly knew what God had in store, that would be our response. And I believe that when we get to heaven, we'll be thinking, our first thought will be, why did I resist this so long? Why did I eat the healthy food and not the donuts? <laughs> that would have got me here faster. And so our scripture that we, we read a lot of scripture tonight, Pastor Jonathan had picked that out. I'm going to concentrate first just on the first four verses of Revelation 21. And I'm going to read those one more time. And where it says, um, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be death, no mourning, no crying, no pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Notice the words here. John said that he saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. It's easy to miss the point here that this city is not so much a place, that it is a place, but it's a people. The holy city of Jerusalem is us. It's all the believers. That new Jerusalem is us. It's because we are the chosen people. We are the new Jerusalem that they're talking about. Say it with me. I am the new Jerusalem. I am the new Jerusalem. We will be prepared as a bride for Christ, for the Messiah. That's who we are going to be. I had this little illustration. I don't like it much, but I'm going to share it anyway. I don't know. I couldn't come up with a better one. <laughs> but picture yourself on the uh, Jersey side of the George Washington Bridge. And all of the people of New York City are marching across the bridge coming out of the city. When all the people of New York City get over into Jersey, they're still New York City. That's who they are. They're the city of New York. Wherever they go, they are the city. And that's what this city is, too. This city is both a place, but it's a people. And it's the people of God. 
we are this new Jerusalem. We are now scattered, but on that day, we'll be gathered together. We'll be coming down from heaven as a bride for Jesus, and we will dwell once again on this new earth. Now, Jesus tried to um, comfort his disciples when he was talking about his own death. And he said in John 14, 1 to 3, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, that you may also be where I am. Now, when Jesus spoke these words, the people knew what he was talking about. For us, this is culturally different, so we don't know exactly what this means in our own culture. There's no comparison. But in that time, when a man got engaged to a woman, so he would go out and he'd find somebody that he wanted to marry. And then what he would do is he would just leave her at her father's house. He would go back to his father's house and he would build an addition onto his father's house. And when he had finished building that whole addition, then he would go get his bride and take her with him to their new house and she would be his wife. And that's what Jesus was talking about here. Um, that he, is, he has built this house for us, and he's going to come back, and he's going to take us with him to be with him where he is. So we see from the scriptures that the people who have accepted Jesus as their Savior, those who have called themselves Christians, those who believe in Jesus are the ones who are the people of that city. We are the people that will, that will inherit and occupy that place of rest. We are the new Jerusalem. For us, there will be no more tears, no more death, no more pain. Now, the rest of the chapter, chapter describes the beauty of this place with all of those gemstones and... Um, that we heard read, and that was so nice of you to read those, because I, I hate reading all those words. I, I, could, uh, I could trip over those words and have a really hard time. Uh, so it's an awesome place, and the rest of the chapter describes that place. And for those who want to study more, you see that in these verses it talks about the city being a perfect cube. And the only other perfect cube in Scripture is the Holy of Holies. It's the only other thing in Scripture that's perfect. And this is the perfect city of God. We become the temple of God. The, not just the temple, but the Holy of Holies. We actually live where God lives. In the Old Testament, the people... Uh, the high priest, once a year, would be able to go into this place, the Holy of Holies. We will actually occupy 
that city. What an honor. What, what an awesome uh, place to be. So, but that's a study. And then um, we're told that there will be no temple because the city, uh, in the city because God will be walking with his people. We will be the temple. Uh, we're also taught that uh, what we call heaven really is going to be the new earth. So it's a little confusing for some people to think of that. Some people don't like that thought. I'm going to be stuck here. You know, Westford's a pretty nice place. You know. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, I grew up in um, a section of Lowell that's torn down now. And if I thought that's where I was going to spend eternity, you know where Macon is? Used to be a bunch of real big uh, apartment buildings there and and they were horrible, but um, anyway. Um, but this city, this new earth, this new city, to me it looks a lot like the Garden of Eden in so many ways. It's like that. It's like God has taken his people from there. And when, when the people of God disobeyed him, he took them out of the garden, and then he sent his son to buy them back, and then now he's preparing that new place again for them, and then he's going to take us with him to bring them back. But those are things that if you're advanced in your studies or you want to study more, those are good things to study. But the question that many might be having about all of this is, well, how do I know if this is even true? How do I know? Some of you may be thinking this. You know, this church teaches this, and Pastor Jonathan is asking you not only to believe, but to put your whole lives on the line for this gospel. You're not asked just to uh, believe, but you're asked to devote your whole lives to proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. You're being asked to live life now in the same manner that you would be living in that new Jerusalem. And don't feel bad if you have questions about all of this, if you're just beginning your journey, because it's exactly the way I was uh, some 40-something years ago when I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And I remember saying at the time, what's the big deal? If this doesn't work out, being a Christian, I can always just go back to my own life. What, how hard would that be? Little did I know that once God begins a work in you, he's got your number. He never stops. He'll continue doing a work in you. How many of you here are fairly new believers? Is anybody here that's fairly new believer? Okay, good. That's good. So you probably can identify what I'm saying, right? You, 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 yeah. I mean, it's, it's the way it starts. It, it really is. It's reality. And so the good news is that Jesus validated all of the claims that he made in Scripture by the resurrection. And he proved 
that he was more than just a man when he rose from the dead on the third day. And this event turned the world upside down. After that time, after the resurrection, death would never be looked at in the same. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 says, uh, and Paul said this in, in, um, in response to the resurrection, he was quoting from Hosea. He said, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Um, there's an illustration that I use at funerals. I'm a beekeeper, and so I like this illustration. Uh, and I'm also allergic to bees, um, but that doesn't stop me. I'm a little crazy. But anyway, um, the illustration is, is that there's a woman and a man driving down the street in the car in the summertime with their windows open, and a bee flies in the car, and the woman is allergic, and she's deathly afraid of the bee. Of the bee. And so she starts screaming, and you know how, I won't do it, I don't know how they, women do it, but you've heard women scream before, right? So she starts screaming, and, and as the bee flies by, the man grabs the bee like that in his hand, and he says, I've got it, and she stops screaming. And then about 30 seconds later, he opens his hand and lets the bee out, to which his wife now, she's not only screaming that she's fearful, but now she's really angry. Why would you let that out when, you know, and she's screaming at him, and he says, honey, look, look, look right here. It's this, the stinger. The stinger's in my hand. That bee can't hurt you anymore. The sting of death is gone. That's exactly what happened at the resurrection. Jesus took the sting of death. He paid the price the sting of death is, is the payment of our sins, and he paid for our sins. There's no longer a sting to death. He took it upon him. Now, because the resurrection took place a long time ago, some of us might question, you, you know, I, don't you, when you hear about something that took place 2,000 years ago, you say, well, uh, how do you know? How do you know something that took place 2,000 years ago is really true. And for people studying the Bible, there's a lot of things in Scripture. When you read them, you think, well, you know, who knows? And the resurrection is one of them. But I want to look at um, what the Scriptures say the response to the resurrection was. First, it was the response of those who killed Jesus. So, Here's some people who had just killed Jesus. And at Pentecost, Peter got up to preach to those who just a few weeks earlier were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And some of those same people that had nailed him to the cross were standing in front of Peter. These people had seen Jesus walking around. Now picture yourself. Here you are, one of the people that nailed Jesus to the cross, and you see him walking around the street. 
If that were me, I'd be thinking, I'm in big doo-doo, you know? The man we killed is surely the son of God, they were thinking. And so as Peter begins his sermon, these people say to him, what must we do to be saved? What they're looking for is, they're not, it's not the same saved as we're thinking of. It's what must we do so that he doesn't come back and kill us, basically. And in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 36 to 38, we read this. I've got to find it. The... So Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And you, and, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise, I'm sorry, I started in the wrong place. I'll start over. It's probably behind me, right? Okay, there. Therefore, all, let all of Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus who you crucified, both Lord and Christ, when the people heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what must we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the repentance, uh, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. These men who had just killed Jesus were offered this gift of salvation. And forgiveness. I believe that they were offered salvation because they came to believe. What else could they think? What would you think if everybody, half the people were saying, this man is God, and then you killed him and you saw him walking around again, you'd be believing this man is God. And so I believe that they believed. And Jesus, when he was on the cross, what did he say? He said, Father, Forgive these people, for they don't know what they're doing. The God that we serve loves us so much that no matter what sins we forgive, we've committed, he is willing to forgive us. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And so the response to that resurrection was great. At that time, 3,000 people on that day that P Peter got up and spoke accepted the message and was bap were baptized. Now that was the response of the people who were against Jesus. Now they turned to him. What was the response of the men and women who believed the message when Jesus was on earth? Well, they believed so strongly that they took the message throughout the whole world. They started just going from place to place, proclaiming this message. And it wasn't easy for them because there was persecution, great persecution for them. All but one of, of the 12 were killed because of their faith didn't stop them. They believed this message. 
they believed so strongly in the message that they were willing to die. But that was a long time ago. I understand that. But there's, this is the record of what took place. And I stand before you today to tell you that the message of the Bible is true. The God of the Bible loves you. He loved you enough to send his only son to the earth to live among us, that he would be killed. So this act of Jesus dying on the cross was twofold. First, God the Father loved you enough to send his son down to sacrifice his only son for you. But secondly, Jesus the Son was willing to lay his life down, to obey his Father and lay his life down for you. Jesus loves us so much that he has asked us to be his bride. And at this time, we're in the time right now where he said, that he is gone to prepare a place for us. And he's going to come back and take us with him to be with he, where he is. So either we'll die first and then we'll come back with him or on that day we'll come back with him to this new earth when he returns. And there we will experience this eternal rest. We are the holy city of God, the new Jerusalem. We are the, the bride prepared for God. God's preparing each of you right now, making you into the people that he is going to have in that city. Right now, you're probably about as perfect as I am. Not so much. But on that day, you'll be perfect. You'll be prepared perfect. Death is no longer something for us to fear. Death is no longer a debt hanging over our heads. Death will be our final rest. We are the new Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that You have loved us enough to send your son to die for us. And not only that, but you have gone away to prepare a place for us, a place where we can dwell for eternity with you, a place where we will be in your presence, right in the Holy of Holies, that we will be dwelling with you, God, what an awesome privilege that is for us. I pray, Lord, that you would give us that assurance. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.